I'm going to stand down here this evening, take my inspiration from Josh, who likes to stand down here when he speaks. But there's a reason for it tonight. We spent, uh, we spend every Wednesday night in our class, well I said we spend it, not everyone ever, but we've been talking about miracles. And it only feels right that if we're going to talk about a miracle that I'll stand down here uh, as well. Also, I don't want to get too hot, so, uh, so we'll stay down here uh, and do this as well. From time to time, over the course of this year, we have been studying about particular women in the Bible. <clears throat> I think the last time we talked about the, was it the woman at the well, perhaps, and we don't even have a name for that woman, but that was uh, who we talked about. And tonight, we are going to talk about, <clears throat> I guess since we didn't have a name last time, we'll talk about a person who gets two names this time. Uh, this title is uh, Dorcas, a beacon of good works. However, <laughs> first name, the first time she appears in the Bible, they don't call her that. They call her Tabitha. Um, this is uh, Hebrew names and Greek names and Aramaic, all these different things. Uh, when you teach from the Bible, you have translations and names. But when you live in a place where there is cross languages, you'll be called different things as well. We don't really experience that too much uh, where we live because of uh, the lack of language uh, languages around us. But in other places, especially like in the Middle East today, where the Bible took place, you had a lot of languages there within. And so if I refer to her as Dorcas, or if I refer to her as Tabitha, I am referring to her as the same person. If you want to fuss at anybody, fuss at Peter 2,000 years ago. He's the one that got this ball rolling uh, on that. But when we talk about the miracles in our Wednesday night class, we've spent a lot of time talking about various types of miracles. All of you can remember some things. In fact, a couple of weeks ago on Wednesday, I asked you which miracles might be the more memorable to you. And it might have been something that perhaps you remembered from Sunday school talking about. So it's, you know, 40 or 50 years ago. But it might just be something that seems sort of overwhelming to you. Maybe an action that seems sort of unrealistic. But I think the one that seems the most difficult for most of us to comprehend is the ability to bring somebody back from the dead, right? That just seems like that that's a step too far. It's hard to comprehend. If somebody comes to you with an ailment and they are fixed, well, in the Bible, when Jesus heals people with ailments, we can kind of correlate that to going to the doctor and being healed as well. But being brought back from the dead seems a little bit too far. But that's the power of Jesus. And that's why we've studied the miracles in the New Testament. But we're studying from the book of Acts tonight. And I would encourage you to go ahead and open up your Bible to Acts chapter 9 if you're not already there. <clears throat> the thing is, though, if you would, while you're in the process of going to Acts chapter 9, I want you to actually stop or start, whichever word works better, in Acts chapter 1. Okay? And we're going to work together for just a second on, in the book of Acts chapter 1. Now... If you look at Acts chapter 1, I'm not asking you to read it, but you'll see some red letter words there, right? And you'll see a few red 
letter words in Acts chapter 1, but not too deep into it. I think Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 is where it stops. Now, if you'll take your Bible and just sort of flip through the book of Acts, you won't see very much read after that. There's a couple of times in there where, Paul, uh, where Jesus will speak to Paul and will speak to Peter, but you don't see Jesus in the flesh, in the body, in the book of Acts very much. So tonight we're going to be talking about raising one from the dead. Well, if we have accepted that Jesus could do that, even though that's a complicated thing for us to comprehend, now we're going to have to move on and we're going to see someone else do that. And if it's hard enough for one person to do it, moving sort of down the line from Jesus to Peter, that's difficult as well. But we're going to see what Peter could do here and what, how it affected uh, this woman Dorcas as well. We'll also hopefully can see that the gifts that had been bestowed upon the apostles, how they were able to use those as well. See, the reality is, had Jesus, when Jesus died and was buried and was and resurrected and ascended into heaven, if the red words had went away with him, if the abilities had went away with him, the odds are the church probably would have stalled out right there. Because there weren't enough people. The Bible says that whenever Jesus went, when Jesus died, they had about 120 people there, right? That's a pretty thin amount of people that he had with him. And so there had to be some more teaching and preaching and maybe some more bringing people into the tent, we might use it, for them to be able to be able to grow. And we'll see Peter and the apostles be able to do this as well. And so tonight, when we talk about Dorcas, remember, we're also talking about the spreading of the gospel. But we'll also see that some of this was already spreading as well. So let's talk a little bit to start with, though, in a lesson about a woman from the Bible. I want to talk a little bit about Peter here to start with. You're in Acts chapter 9, and we read just a few moments ago in the scripture reading, starting in verse 36. But I want to go back a couple of verses and look at Acts chapter 9. We'll start with 32. I had said 33, but I think 32 is a starting point, so we'll do that. Read with me Acts Acts chapter 9, verses 32 to 35. Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. And it's a town there that they were passing through. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. And he arose immediately. So all who dwelt in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. And so I want us to think about that passage, that little few words there for just a second. In this passage, Peter comes across this man named Aeneas. And as you can tell, he's in a really difficult spot, right? It said that he had been paralyzed, that he couldn't walk, and he'd been in this condition for how long? What did it say? Eight years there, right? So it's a long time for that. That's a long time to be unable to move, to be able to do whatever it is that you might, uh, that, that we all would desire to do. And Peter told him, he said, Aeneas, but I want you to look then at the next couple of words. He didn't say, Aeneas, I say to you, stand up because I'm here. That's not what it says there, right? It says, Aeneas, comma, Jesus the Christ heals you. So when we see Peter and we see the apostles going about healing, going about miracles perhaps, that sort of bridge that they had from Jesus into sort of the modern world of Christianity, they were still healing 
through whom? They were still healing through Jesus. And he told him to arise and make his bed. And when he did so, Aeneas arose immediately. The Bible says immediately there, right? That's one of the things we commented on Wednesday night a lot, right? When we talk on Wednesday night, we see these miracles that take place. And in every one of them, nearly every single time, they are healed just like that, right? And so we see that Peter had that ability right then and there. Now, one of the problems that Jesus ran into is when he would make, when he would perform these miracles, what happened to the crowds around him? They grew, right? The more people wanted to come. Well, if Peter's doing the same thing, Jesus is already dead. But if Peter is doing the same thing, what do you think the crowds are going to do for him? They're going to sort of crowd in. They're going to gather in as well. You can imagine the impact that this would have had on others in the community. Acts chapter 9 and verse 38 says a couple of verses later, they seem to imply that Peter had taken up residence there in Joppa. And later we see that he lived with a tanner uh, named, uh, named Simon. And so Peter is sort of in this community. It also says that in Lydda and Sharon, which was nearby. And so these people know that Peter's there. He lives there within the community. And I suspect while Peter was there, he probably spent a whole lot of time preaching and teaching, right? That was what he was going to do. In fact, it says those two communities, Lydda and Sharon, what does it say that over time they had done? It says they had turned to the Lord. So not only was he preaching and teaching, but he was effective in it. Now, we had to talk about Peter for just a second because we need to talk about Dorcas as this woman from the Bible. But first of all, who was Dorcas? Well, this is her Greek name, Dorcas is, Tabitha would be the Hebrew name, and she lived in the town of Joppa, okay? That's about what we know to start with. She's referred to, like we said, as Tabitha as well, but we don't know a ton more than that, but let's go a little bit deeper. We read that she was a follower of Christ, and so this tells me that the word of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, has made it to their community. Jesus is not a foreign person in this community. But it also tells me, because what we just read about Peter living in Lydda and uh, being in Lydda and Sharon, that the word was around those people, but it didn't necessarily have all of those people. It said many of them would turn there later. So we can just sort of trace this and assume that Dorcas is a follower of Christ. I don't know if we're calling them Christians just yet, but they're followers of Christ in a community that probably didn't have a ton of followers of Christ. We'll see that maybe just a little bit more in a second. Acts 9.36 tells about her character. It says, she was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. Have you ever considered a statement that might be placed on your tombstone? Have you ever seen a statement on a tombstone? Most tombstones have a name and they have a date. They might say was married to so-and-so or had such-and-such such kids. But every now and then, there'll be, what's it called? An epitaph, right? It's what's written right on there. And some, you know, here lies less, no less, no more, less more, no less, no more, or something like that. Here how it goes. Would have been funnier if I remembered the whole thing. <clears throat> but those epitaphs are used to describe us, right? Well, what if the epitaph on our tombstone said what Acts 9.36 said? What if it said, was full of good works and charitable deeds, which he or she did? 
That would be an excellent descriptor. So what kind of reputation might Dorcas have in the community? Well, it would seem to be a very good one if they're talking about this. Paul later wrote to Titus in chapters two, verse, chapter 2, 14 and 3, 14, that Jesus' own special people should be zealous for good works, right? And that our people, Jesus talking about, follow, or Paul talking about followers, our people should learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. Let's look at those two, ver- two verses there for just a second. Own special people. So we can't look at people who are not followers of Christ and say, boy, they ought to be doing more better stuff. No, our focus should be on who doing the good works. It should be on us, right? And it says that we should not just be doing it, but should be zealous for it. That we should learn to maintain those good works to meet urgent needs. If somebody needs something, what should we do? We should strive to help them. It says that they may not be unfruitful. It appears that what Paul wrote to Titus much later than what happens here in Acts with Peter and Dorcas, it appears that Dorcas was already doing this. But like anyone, Dorcas unfortunately passes away. And the people, whenever Dorcas died, the people showed Peter the tunics that she had made. A tunic's like a coat or a, or a wrap, something that you would wear. Something that would be beneficial for people. And not only were they showing what she had made, but they were weeping and saddened by the loss of their neighbor and of their friend. Just the same as we would be saddened by the loss of someone that we went to church with or someone that we had regular contact with. We might have something that we would remember them as well. For many times, though, the good works don't often become revealed until that person's already gone. You ever thought about that? Sometimes you don't realize what a person was doing until they're gone. That maybe happens at work sometime, right? And somebody leaves that job, and you're like, man, why is this not getting done? It's like, oh, that's what that person always did. Maybe didn't appreciate it until it was there. That's okay, because we shouldn't be doing things for people to see us. But we read what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Turn back there with me for just a second. This is from the Sermon on the Mount, pretty much right in the dead middle of Jesus' sermon. He speaks in chapters 5, 6, and 7, and this is the start of chapter 6. My Bible says to do good, to please God. Verse 1 in chapter 6, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Verse 3, but when you do a charitable deed, do not know, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Our good deeds should be like those good deeds of Dorcas. They should reward God. They should glorify God. But they should benefit those amongst us. There are people that live around Dorcas who were warm at night 
and had something to wear during the day because of those tunics that she made them. There were people that looked at that and said, I would not be as comfortable as I am today had she not done this. That is a charitable and good work. But we don't need to be bragging about it, making it a big deal. I don't believe Dorcas was. Now, let's bridge the gap. Let's connect the two right here. What does this story mean? How do we put it together? Well, the disciples had already apparently knew of Peter healing of Aeneas, and they sinned for him. That's where our reading starts, right? Acts 9.38 says two men were sent to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. See, they sinned for Peter because they know what had Peter just done with Aeneas there in the community. This man had been on his had been paralyzed and couldn't walk for eight years, and now he can walk. We don't know that Peter maybe has done other things as well. Who knows? But the reputation is there that there's a man who might be able to fix this. But they tell him the same way we would have said, go on and get it pretty quick, right? Because most of us would probably think the same way. She's been dead for an hour or two. We might be able to bring her back. But if we wait two or three or four days, that may be impossible. Now, that's not what the scripture says, but our minds sort of think that way. In fact, when Jesus healed Lazarus, the disciples, the apostles told Jesus, we need to go. They needed to go right now. Jesus said, what are we going to do? So we're going to wait a day or two. You know, we'll go in a little bit. So there's some evidence that it didn't have to be. But I can understand why they thought that. But whenever they come, they say, they sent the men to Peter and saying, uh, imploring him not to delay. In the next verse, verse 39, what does Peter do? He goes. He comes to them. There were no such places as funeral homes at the time. You know, funeral homes are a pretty, pretty new thing. Maria and I were talking last week how in our part of the world, nearly every funeral home is an old house. To me, I'm almost kind of weirded out by a funeral home that was built to be a funeral home. It's like, that, that's, you shouldn't have done that, you know? It ought to be an old house that you got to walk up and down steps to get to the same room. I don't know how that works, but you have to do that, right? But she was telling me in New York, they have a lot of funeral homes that are built for that, but they're in the city. And she said, the way we were talking about, I mean, she and I were talking, that in our part of the world, it used to be that funeral visitations lasted for two or three days, right? And now it's pretty common for there to be visitations that sort of flow right into the funeral. She said in New York, they often had visitation in the morning and at night because you had a lot of people and you had a lot of workers and it was more convenient for people to go in the morning and go to work or go to work and then go in the evening. Well, that's all cultural for us, but there were no funeral homes for Dorcas at the time. We read that when she died, what had they done? They had washed her, right? Said they washed her and they laid her in an upper room. <laughs> so maybe their funeral homes were kind of like ours, right? Just put them in the upper room right there. But upon arrival, Peter then is taken to the upper room. And as we discussed a few minutes ago, the first group of people that meet Peter are doing what? When they first meet Peter, we said that they were weeping and they were showing the things that she had made for them. We still do this, right? We cry at the funeral home. We may not necessarily show things, but at the funeral home, they put pictures on those screens, right? 
And those pictures roll through and you'll see pictures of people looking young, medium age, and old. You'll see some, some clothes that you can't believe anybody wore, right? But you'll see pictures at the St. Louis Arch and at Disney World and on the beach. And we look at these and oh, I remember when they did that. I remember when there's a picture of our softball team when we were 20 years old. I remember that's what those women were doing right there. We remember those and there's a fondness, but maybe a sadness that's sort of interspersed right there. We learn about her nature. We learn about her good deeds. We learn how she used her talents, both head and hands, to make garments for widows. Peter comes in. He puts them out, and he knelt and prayed. So Peter will kneel and pray. We read all this in the scripture reading there just a moment ago in Acts chapter 9. But I want you to look at Acts chapter 9 and verse 40 right now. Acts chapter 9 and verse 40, we see Peter say what? He said he turned to the body. I would like to get there myself. He turned to the body, and he said... Tabitha, arise. Now, two words. Tabitha, her Hebrew name, and arise. Now, if we go to the funeral home tonight, whichever one has a body, and we walk to the casket and say, name, arise, nothing's going to happen. It doesn't work that way anymore. Those gifts that were bestowed by Jesus to his apostles, they've long since gone away. We don't have those gifts anymore. We don't need those gifts anymore because what you're flipping through right now is what we have. That Bible is what we use right there. But Peter looked to her laying there and he said, Tabitha, arise. What was the result? Well, let's stay in Acts chapter 40. And she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. Now, when Peter had healed Aeneas, a few verses earlier, whenever he told him to stand up and make his bed, he did so. But that man was paralyzed, but still alive. Dorcas was dead. But the end result was the same for both. Peter said, Open her eyes, Tabitha arise. And she did. He reaches his hand there and she stands up. So Peter has healed this woman. Then what? Acts 9, verse 41. And when he had called the saints and the widows, those same people in tears right outside the door, when he calls to them, he presented her. What does it say there at the end of verse 41? I'll let you say it out loud. What's it say? He presented her alive. So the people who knew that she was dead, the people who had been saddened by her loss, the people who had been weeping and reminiscing and thinking about all these great deeds that she had done and how they were going to miss her, now they see her alive. Luke ends the story by saying that <clears throat> Luke concludes the story saying the raising of Dorcas soon traveled and what traveled with it was the influence of Christ. Now, I don't know that we see her anymore after this. Quite often in the Bible, we saw people that were involved in miracles, and that was, that was it. But we know that at some point down the line, Dorcas will die, 
and will be permanently dead. But right now, Peter showed what the gift of God could actually do. And he was able to present that, and it was able to help people in the area become more convinced, become more attuned to what Jesus had done, and to become Christians as a result of it. God can use the talents, the personality, the abilities of any person who chooses to serve him. We talked about that this morning, right? We talked about the comfort zone that we're in. And we talked about how everybody here has something that we do best at church. But there's other ways that we can use those talents as well. You might look at Dorcas and say, what did she do in the church? Well, she was already a follower, but we don't see much more than that. But we see that she made these garments for people. Well, that might not be the fanciest task that anybody's ever done, but I can guarantee you whatever made the church in that community, they were appreciative of what she did. See, what talents we have, whatever they might be, wherever they are on the chart, can be used to serve God. We read that she was full of good works and charitable good or charitable deeds. This can help others, help assist others, and that's what she is doing as well. We're left, really, as we said a moment ago, no more information about it. We don't even really get any information about how the people reacted, right? We see very little about how the people reacted. Do you think somebody fainted when they saw it? Do you think they yelled and cheered? Do you think they sat down and was like, what am I saying? Who knows? But those are the things that sometimes we wanted to see, right? Sometimes we look at those and we think, what would the response have been? See, we look at that kind of like a TV show, right? How do we react to that? The reaction is in verse 42. This is the only thing that matters. Acts 9 and verse 42 to finish up. And it became known throughout Joppa, throughout all of Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. That's the only thing that matters. That's the only thing that matters. It wasn't any response. It wasn't the hooping and hollering that may or may not have come. It wasn't however long she looked. All that mattered was that the word of God was spread. And our good works today, whether they're sort of quiet like Dorcas or whether they're quite visible like Peter, should all strive to go to verse 42, to spread the word in and around the community and in people that we come in contact with. That should be the goal right there. If there's anything that we can do for you, we have this opportunity each time. But just like with Orcus, there's no real knowledge of when our time will be over. But we know that her time ended. She was fortunate to be brought back. But we need to use that time, whatever time it may be, to strive to do the works of God. If there's something that's keeping you from doing that, if there's something that's keeping us from getting to that point, if there's something that's dividing us, separating us from Christ, whatever it is, as we do each time we come together, the opportunity is here. The baptism 
uh, pool is ready if needed. We're ready to pray for you, whatever it be. We always invite you to come while we stand and sing.